The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Hello, and thanks again for joining us uh, for the Source of Truth podcast and another time for just a few minutes in God's Word. And we are continuing in our study through the book of Ruth, the study we've used, pulling a phrase from this, I believe the theme of this being kinsman redeemer. And we see the practice of that in the historical side in Israel, but we see the picture of Christ all the way through the book of Ruth. And so we're going to continue in our study. Actually, we have two more episodes. This one where we will study the first half of chapter 4. And then next time we will complete our study, finalizing out the end of the book. And so I hope this has been encouragement, even though there's only been a smaller amount of episodes in this. There's just some great nuggets of truth. Now, let me encourage you in one area as we kind of come to the end of our last two episodes. One of the things we have a tendency to do in Bible study is we have a tendency to run to passages of which we are familiar. We run to Philippians or James or Psalms or things that are, chapters are smaller, often books are smaller. Um, We don't have to worry about Old Testament history. Uh, We don't have to try and figure out how it all works. A lot of times when you study Old Testament books, uh, they go into a lot of details. As a matter of fact, the verses we'll read here in a second do something similar to that. But let me encourage you, don't, don't eliminate studying Old Testament because it's, it can be, I guess, what I would consider to be a little intimidating. You know, you go back to you know, Leviticus and uh, Chronicles, and, and I won't deny the fact that they can be intimidating. Let me give you a simple breakdown. Leviticus is just a breakdown of the law. While, while I wouldn't call it intimidating, I would call it laborious. It's a lot of detail. Great to know, needful to know, but it is laborious. Chronicles, same thing, basically taking a breakdown and hit a chronicle of the kings of Israel and things of that nature. So it's easy for us. We get to the minor prophets, the major prophets. And by the way, the only difference why we call them minor and major, minor prophets are smaller. They have less chapters. Major prophets have more chapters. It's the title we've put to them. But to be honest, sometimes we can look back at these chapters and we become nervous. Let me encourage you. There is some amazing truth about God and, yes, about Jesus, about the full narrative of Scripture that I think if we just focus our attention on the New Testament, we miss everything that God wants us to have. The Bible tells us we're to teach and preach the whole counsel of God. That includes the Old Testament. You really can't know God fully until you've read the entire Old Testament. So sometimes what we do is because you see judgment or justice, shall we say, in the Old Testament, it's easy for us to look at it and say, oh, it's just the, it's God's anger. It's not. There are times where you see the holiness and the judgment of God. That is actually truth, though. That's part of life. Sin demands judgment, just like in today's day, crimes demand judgment. So be very careful that we don't run away from passages that are so needful for us to understand. And by the way, if your full impression of God from the Old Testament is just that of judgment, you've not truly read and thought through the Old Testament. The grace of God is just replete, as we'll see here through the Old Testament. So be very careful how we approach it. But I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to make um, the Old Testament part of your reading, part of your study. And just trust me, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. You'll be amazed at what you can learn. Yes, there's going to be things that will not make sense. Uh, that's okay. Just keep studying and you'll be amazed how as you do that, it'll begin to all work itself out together in your mind and understanding. So having taken that time, let's jump into Ruth chapter 4 and we'll begin reading there in verse 1. The Bible says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsmen of whom Boaz spake came by. 
unto whom he said, Oh, such an one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now let me explain this first verse. So Boaz, remember he had stated just recently to Ruth, he said there is one family member, one kinsman, more closely related to Limelech than myself. And that he would have the first rights. Because please understand, the kinsman redeemer obviously got Ruth, but also, as we'll see here in a second, purchased the land. They, they took everything that would have been a Limelex in this case. And he says, so to follow the law, I need to go to him first. And so he goes out to where he is, and he calls this other relative over to him. Verse 2, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit you down here. And they sat down. So he knows, in all reality, much of what's taking place here in a moment is just a business transaction a legal business transaction that was normal. And yes, we'll see in a minute how they have some very strange ways of approaching it uh, for a lot of reasons that, you know, today we, we offer things that just weren't available in those days. So these 10 men sat down as simply 10 witnesses to the transaction. Verse number three, and he said unto the kinsman, to this other relative, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother's Elimelech. Now, Asking for redemption would have made sense. It all would have come together. Elimelech understood all of that. Verse 4, he said, I thought to advertise thee or to let you know, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me, then I may know. For there is none to redeem it besides thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. So Boaz says, listen, it's, you don't want the townspeople to buy it, simply to redeem it, to keep the name of the child, of uh, the family going, keep it in the family. It's your chance. And, if, and no one else really can. So if you don't, then, it's, then I will take it. Verse 5, then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of the Ruth of Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And so Boaz starts and he says, let me explain something. Thing. And, and, and by the way, the other kinsmen would have fully understood what was happening here. So he says, you can buy the land, but I understand with the land comes, the kinsman redemption comes with taking the wife of the, uh, taking this widow, the wife of one of the sons. All the land would have been to the family. And so she's as a widow, even though she was an Israelite as a widow, it would have become her. And so to an extent, she came with the property. Sounds kind of cold, but again, a business transaction. And we'll see how it really was less cold. And we'll see God's grace working through it here in just a moment. Let's go to verse number six. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it from myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right, um, redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. So what happens is, uh, in the desire not to lose his inheritance, it might have something to do with you know, getting Ruth, having Ruth as a wife, and uh, not a lot of detail there, simply except the fact that taking this step with Ruth would have caused some grief in his own inheritance, would have caused some possible issues on his side. So he says, you know, it's not worth it. He thought he had the land, but to have to bring in a social issue with the wife just seemed to cause a lot, lot of inconveniences in other areas. And it, what does, by the way, it doesn't make this man evil by any stretch of the imagination. He had an opportunity. He chose not to do it. It's all it was. Um, and, and so Boaz comes in, and, and it wasn't bad because Boaz was planning to do this, and I think this man knew what was happening at this point. Um, let me see it in the verse 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to conform all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. So simply, now today what we do is we draw up a document. And we would have um, a lawyer usually there, or if nothing else, a notarer there. Someone who is licensed to notarize paperwork. And um, in doing that, 
uh, you would have a witness, so you'd have, and I've done, I've, I've signed for witnesses, had people do it for me too, so uh, you uh, sell a car, we've done that here, you sell a car, you show up, you have a witness who is the notary, they sign the notary, they notarize it, the two people sign on both sides, and, and that seal, that notarized seal makes it a legal document, and you can take it, and it's easy to, you know, to prove this, especially when you're selling um, property or things of that nature, so they use this type of idea. They didn't have that available in the day, so the custom was simply, um, I take off my shoe and I give it to another person. Uh, you can go through and dig a lot of what, how this could be abused. The simple point was, hence the reason for 10 witnesses. 10 witnesses, elders in the city, recognized authority in the city, would have watched the one man give the other. It would have been recognized with 10 witnesses. So the, he handled this very uh, effectively. He followed the law. He knew what he was doing. And he was very ethical in how he approached this. So let's continue. And now we're going to kind of jump into a part that I think is where we begin to see some great practical application. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gates of this place. Ye are witnesses this day. So I want to just take a few minutes and finish up focusing on that verse right there. So what we have is he, he tells everybody, I clarifies what I'm done, your witnesses of it, kind of finalizing, uh, surmising what just took place so nobody was confused. I've taken the land, I'm, I'm purchasing technically, take redeeming Naomi or Ruth, and I will take her to my wife. And, and here was one of the premises. The premises was that I'm going to take her and I'm going to give her a child so that way the name of her husband, her deceased husband, will not disappear. Um, as if you were to, for example, at the end of Ruth 4, and then you go into Matthew chapter 1, we read it a few episodes ago, we talk about the chronology. And it says, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Lineage is passed from man to man, name to name through the blood of the man. And so for Ruth's husband to have been remembered, it would have done through children or through that aspect. And so what happened was his name was remembered. It was redeemed and his name was remembered through Ruth. So that way he'd be recognized, he'd be in the gate, be in the books per se. Um, it would be, you know, it would be clarified that he was there. His name would not just kind of disappear off the books because he didn't have a child. Uh, that's why it was so important in those days for children. That's why they were such a blessing. That's why when you look back on, uh, remember Hannah uh, with uh, the prophet Samuel, Hannah was really upset that she was unable to give her husband a child because it was such a big deal to the husband and the wife felt like, like a failure and unable to do this. Uh, the same thing will be happen true when you get back to um, the New Testament where you have the priest and his wife, Elizabeth, and they were unable, Zacharias and Elizabeth, unable to have a child. It would have been considered, I said we say a curse, it would have considered a bad thing because they were remembered through this. And so this is where a lot of that culture rolls in. Um, you see that today and you see that. So really what happened is a lot of people, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but they really want to turn this into a love story where, you know, Boaz was captured with the beauty of Ruth. And so he kind of fought his way to get this guy off and to take her in. And please remember, Boaz was considerably older than Ruth. And Ruth could have gone and found someone younger. What we understand is Boaz is taking not only the gain of the financial gain of gaining the land, he's taking on a social responsibility that was more actually towards the family than towards himself. So we begin to see that while one man said, I don't want to take on the inconvenience, Boaz is willing to do this. An inconvenience in his part 
for the betterment of others. Now, what I want to take a second, I'm going to read something. As many of you know, I'll read different commentators to look at it. And I want to read a portion from a commentator that I read. I thought he, the way he words it's so much better than me. And uh, let me see. Um, what, let me tell you what, what read what he said. He says, so starts off with saying, whereas the other man was concerned about ruining his own inheritance, Boaz's motives were more selfless. He acquired Ruth and the property out of concern for others. He simply, the verse, you know, to perpetuate the deceased man's name and his own property in that whole passage. So here's the, here's the principle he gave I thought was good. This sacrifice brings to mind the New Testament principle in Matthew 16, 25, that whoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life because of me, the same will find it in Matthew 16. Here's what he said. Often blessings follow when we lay down our priorities for the sake of God's. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, same principle. He also said selfishness tends to turn off the blessing faucet. So let me reread that, all right? Often blessings flow when we lay down our priorities for the sake of God's. He tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we focus our entire life and our priorities come about us and what we can get, uh, we lose out on some great blessings from God. When we're willing to set those aside and stop trying to be in control and stop trying to do and let God do, surrender to God and let God do, then we begin to see some pretty amazing blessings. But I like how he finishes. Selfishness tends to turn off the blessing faucet, and I believe it is so true. The moment our journey, the moment our Christian life, the moment what we do becomes consumed with what we can get, we seem to lose the blessing of God. Now, while I won't say that I think it brings punishment I don't think God gets angry and vindictive. And I think simply what it comes down to is that when we are right with God and walking with God, which then will be make us humble and there's selflessness and Lord, I don't understand everything, but I'm submitting to it. That opens up the opportunity for God to bless because he will be honored through it. When we are heavily selfish, God doesn't really want to bless that because it, it reflects on us and we miss out on the great blessing of God. Now, there's going to be times in life when God will lead us to do something won't make sense. This is where it's important for us to say, what is God's desire for his kingdom, for his church, for the future? What is his plan? How can I honor that the most? And that really is what we need to be focusing our attention on. And when we do that, he says, and all these things will be added to you, all the things the world seeks after. The world has no other spiritual desire. They seek after these material things. Because I will take care of the material things if you set, seek, me for thing, seek me first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these spiritual things. Make that your desire. Let me take care of the details. I've watched it happen over and over again. I've seen God bless. I've seen how people have flourished because of it. And may that be the desire that we have upon our own lives. Well, thank you for taking time to join us today. And as we uh, begin the process of finishing this, to next episode, we will finish this chapter and finalize another couple of great principles as we study this. And I really hope it's been encouragement, maybe a little eye-oper to a book that maybe you have not studied much and truly hope that it's just given you a greater understanding of God and some of his many great attributes. Thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you next time.